Thank you, Pam. Well, today we have come to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord. During New Testament times, there were three basic groups that did not believe in the resurrection. First of all, there were the hedonists. Now, they believed the goal of life was pleasure in this life without any regard for the possibility of future accountability. Their motto was, eat, drink, and be merry, tomorrow we die. And certainly, we have that group dominant in our culture today. The second group were the pantheists. The dictionary defines pantheism as a doctrine that equates God with the forces and laws of the universe. Pantheism is the belief that God is everything and everything is God. Therefore, a resurrection is not necessary because at death everything merges with God and becomes a part of God. It has been my concern for some time that the extreme environmentalists are ushering in a new revival of pantheism. In fact, Francis Schaeffer, 35 to 40 years ago, wrote that if Christianity did not address environmental concerns, the world view of the environmental movement would lead to a renewal of pantheism. And personally, I believe that is what is happening. That We no longer see ourselves so much as a steward of the environment, but instead we worship the environment. The third group were the Platonists. Plato believed to have fostered the idea of dualism. An idea that everything spiritual is good and everything physical is intrinsically evil. The idea of a resurrected body was a repugnant goal since the goal of life was to escape the body or the physical. But we have gathered today because we believe in the resurrection of Jesus. And so we're going to look at the story. Take your Bibles, turn with me to the Gospel of John chapter 20. We'll begin reading in verse number 1. Now on the first day of the week... Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb while it was still dark and saw the stone already taken away from the tomb. And so she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Peter therefore went forth and the other disciple, and they were going to the tomb. And the two were running together, and the other disciple ran ahead faster than Peter and came to the tomb first. And stooping and looking in, he saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. Simon Peter therefore also came, following him, and entered the tomb. And he beheld the linen wrappings lying there, and the face cloth which had been on his head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. So the other disciple who had first come to the tomb entered then also, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the Scripture that he must rise again from the dead. So the disciples went away again to their own homes. When we take a group of people to Israel... One of the things we always do and I look forward to is going to Gordon's Calvary. 
And there is a place that we view that possibly Jesus was crucified, where Jesus was crucified. After we have viewed Calvary, then we participate in the Lord's Supper, and then after the Lord's Supper, we view the tomb, the empty tomb. It is a time, at least for me and I think for others, of reflection, of contemplation about the miracles of Easter, what happened on that day. We come with a variety of approaches to the empty tomb. There are some who are somewhat casual about it, as was John in verse number 5. And stooping and looking in, he, speaking of John, saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. Now, John was the first to arrive at the tomb. The Bible says that Peter came after him. Apparently, John was faster than Peter. So, John got there first. The Bible says that he saw. The Greek word that is used there is the word blepo, which means to see, to look at, to glance at. It means a casual consideration. So when John then came to the empty tomb, the Bible says that he was rather casual. He saw that it was empty, but he did not consider any meaning at that time. In fact, if you look back in verse number 1, now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb while it was still dark and saw the stone already taken away from the tomb. The same word for saw is used there. So when Mary Magdalene then came and saw that the stone had been removed, it was a casual observation. She glanced at it. She saw that it was gone. But she really did not consider what it meant. And perhaps today some of you are at that place. Some of you possibly, in fact, I would imagine some of you came today simply because it's Easter. Or maybe your family wanted you to come with them, and so there's rather a casual approach to the story of the resurrection. I heard the story about a woman who was sick. She wasn't able to go to church on Easter. Her husband went without her. And when he came home from the service, she said, Did you see Mrs. Jones today? He said, Yes, I did. She said, What was she wearing? He said, I, I, I don't know. Men are not real observant on things like that. She said, Did you see Mrs. Smith? Yeah, I saw Mrs. Smith. Was she wearing her hat? I, I, don't, I, really, I don't know. She asked about Mrs. Johnson. She asked about several other ladies, and each time his reply was the same. I don't know. Finally, she said, Fred, honestly, I don't even know why you bother to go to church. <laughs> well, you know, the truth is, some of us are that way. We're here today. It's Easter. You're supposed to be in church. Now, I understand that because there was a time, a long time in my life, when I went to church on Easter because it was Easter and I didn't go the rest of the year. I didn't do that until my daughter, I thought my daughter needed to go to church and that's how I ended up in church. So there, there are those, and I understand that, there are those who come and you're more interested in what is going to happen after the service. We're going to have an Easter egg hunt. We're going out to lunch. We're doing all these things. So there are those who have a rather casual observation. But then look at verse number 6. Simon Peter therefore also came, following him, following John, and entered the tomb, and he beheld the linen wrappings lying there. He beheld. John saw, Peter beheld. The word beheld means to examine, to study, to theorize, to scrutinize. So 
When Peter got there, though he came after John, he sees that the tomb is empty, and he begins to theorize as to what that meant. The tomb is empty. What does that mean? I think he probably reached some conclusions. One was that that uh, the body had not been stolen. Now, I say that because the linen wrappings were there. Certainly, someone would not have come and unwrapped the body and then taken the body and, leave and left the wrappings behind so the body had not been stolen. Jesus had not swooned, as some said later, because it was the custom of the Jews in their burial process to put a hundred pounds of spices within the folds of the grave clothes. So had Jesus swooned and come back around, then the wrappings would have been undone. They would have been strewn around the tomb, and the spices would have also been strewn around the tomb. But it wasn't that way at all. So Peter would conclude then that the body wasn't stolen, and Jesus had not swooned. Now, maybe that's where you are today. You're asking some serious questions about the empty tomb. Was it indeed a miracle? Did Jesus really come back to life? Is, was it a miracle? Was it a hoax that has been perpetuated throughout the ages and it's just a religious hoax? Or does it matter? Does it even matter to me today? Now, I believe if you will be honest in your consideration that it will lead you to faith as it did John. In verse number 5, the word that is used for saw means casual consideration. He just came, he glanced, but he didn't consider it. But then look at verse number 8. So the other disciple, John, who had first come to the tomb, entered then also, and he saw and believed. The word saw is different there. It means to see with understanding. John was the first one in. He was the first one to believe. When he came at first, it was simply a glance. The tomb is empty. He didn't consider what it meant. But then the Bible says that he saw and he believed. He understood. Jesus was truly alive. Thomas first heard, he responded by doubting in verse number 24. Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore were saying to him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I shall see in his hands the imprints of the nails and put my finger into the place of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Thomas' first response to the empty tomb in the story of the resurrections, I don't believe that. Unless we be too hard on Thomas, I'm not sure how I would have responded. I'll not believe that unless I take my finger and put in the nail prints of his hands and take my hand and thrust it into his side. I'll not believe. He doubted. But then the Bible says that he moved to faith in verse 26. And after eight days again, his disciples were inside Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors having been shut, stood in their midst and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach here your finger and see my hands. Reach here your hand. Put it into my side. Be not but unbelieving, but believing. Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Thomas began with doubt when he heard the story, and then he moved to faith. Here's the thing, is regardless as to where you are now, to be honest with you, it doesn't matter to me a lot. Regardless as to how you come to the empty tomb, what my prayer is, is that you will move to faith 
and that you will believe. Perhaps you've come today with just a casual consideration. It's Easter and I'm here. That's okay. There's not anything wrong with that. I'm just here today. Or maybe you've come with doubts today. It's all right to have doubts as long as you're honest about them. I love the story about Josh McDowell. Josh was talking with a guy who said that he was an atheist, and as he spoke to Josh about it, Josh said, well, are you an honest or dishonest atheist? He said, well, what do you mean? And Josh said, well, there are a lot of books written on apologetics, and I'm assuming that you have read those books, and after careful study, you have come to a conclusion that there is no God. He said, have you read those books, those studies? He said, no, I I haven't. He said, well, then you're not an atheist. You're an agnostic. He said, well, what is an agnostic? He said, it means you don't know. He said, yeah, that's what I am. I'm I'm an agnostic. I I really don't know. And Josh said, do you want to know? He said, yes, I'd like to know. He said, well, then you're not an agnostic. You're a seeker. (laughs) Well, See, regardless as to where you are, that's not what's important. The thing that is important is to be honest and allow the Spirit to speak to you. Because it is my belief that if you will be honest about it, that it will lead you to a place of faith. So we see the miracle of Easter. They came to the empty tomb. John ran in. He glanced at it. Peter came and he scrutinized it. And then John believed. But what about the message of the miracle? What is the message? Well, first, it's a message of comfort, which ironically, as far as I'm concerned, is that a message of comfort came from a cemetery. But it did for Mary in verse number 15. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. You see, when Mary came to the tomb, she came despairing. When Jesus had died on the cross, her hopes, her dreams had died alongside Him. So when she came to the tomb that morning, she came in despair. But when she heard her name come from the lips of Jesus, Mary, oh, her heart was comforted. And she said, Rabboni. Albert Barnes wrote, this is a Hebrew word denoting literally my great master. It is the highest title that can be given to a rabbi. And so there she was, and and she came despairing, but she was comforted there in the cemetery. The disciples were comforted. Verse number 19. When therefore it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and when the doors were shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. You see, the disciples had gone into the room and shut the door because they were fearful for their own lives. Jesus had just been crucified. If they did that to Jesus, then what were they going to do with them? And so they were in the room fearful about their own lives. And the Bible says that Jesus appeared to them and said, Peace. And He comforted them. Ladies and gentlemen, that is a part of the message of the resurrection, a message of comfort. There are some of you need comfort today. 
There are some of you who have been to the doctor and the news has not been good. Maybe you have been told to date that this is how much time you have left. And you need the comfort of the resurrected Lord today. That's what the resurrection is. There are some of you who have lost loved ones. And your heart is aching even today, but... That is the message of the resurrection that the Lord comforts you. There are some of you parents who have children who strayed away from God to the best of your ability. You tried to bring them up in the church. You tried to bring them up to know the Lord and love the Lord and those things. And somehow it just hasn't worked out and you need comforting today. I say that to say to you that the resurrected Lord comforts us. That's a part of the message. It is a message of comfort. It is also a message of joy. In verse number 20b, the disciples therefore rejoiced when they saw the Lord. What a wonderful message of joy. Some years ago, I was speaking to a group of pastors from South Africa. There was one of them who gave his testimony. I don't remember his last name. His first name was Clem. And he gave his testimony, and he, he told about growing up and getting in the wrong crowd and all those things. He said, I became the, the town drunk. He said, that was me. He said, I was the town drunk. He went to a revival, and there he was saved, and he was gloriously saved. His life was changed. And he said, the Lord removed that burden, and he said, there's such joy in my heart He said, I I was walking down the road. He said, I didn't know any Christian songs, but I was singing at the top of my lungs. It's a long way to Tipperary. (laughs) Well, folks, that's what the Lord does in our life. He gives us joy. We can rejoice because He removes our fear. And there is so much fear in our society today. We we are fearful about health care. We are fearful about our finances. We are fearful about our retirement. We are fearful about uh, national security. We are fearful about all these things. And And some are so fearful of death today. In Los Angeles, there are people who died. Their bodies have been wrapped in tinfoil, and they have been frozen. Some of them have been there since 1967. The idea was that when the cure for the disease that took their life is found, then they will be thawed and revived. They'll they'll be treated because we're so fearful of things. But Jesus removes our fear. I don't know what it might be, the the fear that is besetting you. I I don't know what it might be in your life. But I do say this, that our Lord removes our fear, so rejoice in Him. We can rejoice because He provides us with power. I look at those disciples who were cowering there in that little room, fearful, and then they went out to turn the world upside down for Jesus Christ because they had the power of God in their life. And folks, that resurrection power is available to you. I don't know what you're going through today. But I know that the Lord has the power to see you through. I know that the Lord has the power, the resurrection power of Jesus Christ is enough for you. And whatever you're facing, face it with Him. We can rejoice because He promises His presence. He's not in the grave. He's with His people. He was with Paul and Silas when they were in prison. That's the reason that they could sing. He was with Stephen when he was being stoned to death, and he is with you today regardless as to what you're facing. We rejoice 
because of his presence, and we rejoice because of his return. The Bible says in Titus 2.13, Looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. Folks, did you know Jesus is coming again? I've talked with a few of you, and you, like I, believe that everything is lining up in the Lord's coming. I, you know, I've said that all my ministry, and some people would say, we've always said that. I just can't see how the Lord's not coming. I'm so excited about it. For a lot of reasons, I, you know, I'm going to be with the Lord, but I just hate to leave Linda here by herself. She'd miss me so much. <laughs> We can just get caught up in the rapture and go to be with Him. But what a message of joy we have. But it's also a message of responsibility. In verse number 17, Jesus said to her, Stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my Father and your Father and my God and your God. You see, come see is always accompanied by go tell. He, he, he said, I, I want you to go and tell the brethren. Tell them that I'm, that I'm alive. He said to the disciples that they were to go and tell others in verse number 21. And he said that to the church in Acts chapter 1, verse number 8. You shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. Very quickly, one of the things that's been burdening my heart recently... I really want to see us folks be more evangelistic, more committed to reaching people for Jesus. There are people all around you that are lost. There are young people who are lost you go to school with. They don't know the Lord. We really need to reach out to them. You doctors have patience. They need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray that the Lord will do that because, see, with the message of the resurrection comes responsibility. We're, we're not just to receive it for ourselves, but we're to share it with others. Thirdly, the meaning of the message. And the message is only meaningful if it's true. In fact, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15:17, If Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. It's pretty plain, isn't it? If Jesus is not alive, he says, your faith then is worthless, and you're not forgiven. You're still in your sin. But then he goes on to say, but he is alive. He says, but now Christ has been raised from the dead. How do we know that? Well, through his appearances, there are ten appearances referred to in the Bible of Jesus after he had resurrected. Ten. The Bible says that he appeared to the disciples. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, 6, after that he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. He says he appeared to 500 at one time. Most of them are still alive if you want to go and check them out. He says that he appeared to James. He appeared to Paul. So how do we know that he... That he is alive. Well, he appeared after he was dead. The 500 at one time. And then the best explanation of the empty tomb is the resurrection. What does it imply? What are the implications of the resurrection? First of all, that truth is stronger 
than falsehood. Ladies and gentlemen, it is truth that has encouraged and comforted and endured throughout the ages. Truth. We need to get away from all this political correctness nonsense and stand on truth. Because truth endures. Truth is stronger than falsehood. Secondly, good is stronger than evil. It was evil that crucified Jesus. It was good that raised Him from the dead. It implies that love is stronger than hatred. You can almost hear the hatred in the voices of those that yelled out, Crucify Him! Crucify Him! And they chose Barabbas and rejected Jesus. But God's love is stronger than all hatred. It implies that life is stronger than death. Each fall, the grass dies, the leaves fall off the trees, and so forth. But in the spring, the grass begins to turn back to green again, and the leaves begin to form on the trees again. Why? Because life is stronger than death. And Jesus said, He who believes in me shall live even if he dies. So let me conclude. You're here today, and I'm glad you are. The focus is on the resurrection of Jesus, the empty tomb. But how do you respond to it? Maybe it's a casual response. Hey, I'm here. It's Easter, and we're going to go out to lunch a little bit and so forth. Maybe that's your response. Or, or maybe you're really considering, I, you know, I'm, I'm really wondering about that. Socrates drank hemlock and lay down to die. A friend asked him, shall we live again? Socrates said, I hope so, but no one can know. And maybe that's where you are. Just be honest about it. You know, maybe you're really dealing with it. Because it is my belief that if you will honestly deal with the resurrection, that it will lead you to faith in the living Lord. And my dear friend, if it does, it is the greatest journey of your life. To be forgiven, to have purpose, to walk with Him. Would you bow your heads with me, please? In just a moment, we are going to stand and the choir is going to sing a hymn of invitation. But will you right now, just in the quietness of this moment, would you right now allow the Lord to examine your heart? Where are you? Where are you in your relationship to Jesus? I'm not asking you if you're a Baptist, a Methodist, a Presbyterian, or anything else. Because that isn't going to count for anything when we stand before the Lord. Do you know Jesus? Would you like to? If you mean it in your heart, would you pray this prayer, prayer like this? Lord God, I know that I'm a sinner, and I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Come into my life. Be my Lord and my Savior. I commit my life to you. In Jesus' name. Now, my friend, if you prayed that prayer a minute in your heart... According to God's Word, you are born into the family of God. You become a child of God. You start a new life in Jesus. If you did that, would you share it with us today? If we have the invitation, come and tell one of our staff members. I hope you will. 
I prayed that prayer and invited Christ into my heart. Father, I pray today for these. I lift them to you and I ask, Lord, that they might be obedient to you in Christ's name. Amen. Would you stand with me, please? If you're responding to the Lord, you come. The staff will be here. If you're looking for a church home, our doors are open to you. You come. I'll greet you as you come.